Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of being people who have free access to your word. As we open your word this morning, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through it, that we might be changed people, people who better reflect the image of Jesus when we leave this place. We pray in his name, that name above all names. Amen. So this morning I need to share with you that I'm wearing a shirt that Pastor Laura does not like at all. I'm wearing it today because she pleaded with me if I was going to wear it in public, I should do it on a day when she was not present to witness the debacle of the multicolored shirt wearing experience. So the shirt is blue and green and it is red and there's a trace of orange in it and I love it. Pastor Laura is not as big a fan of it as I am. So I, I, I did honor that commitment to wear it when she's not here this one time. Thank you. Thank you very much. I wonder if you can remember back to your school days and you can remember your favorite field trip. Can you remember your favorite field trip from way back in your school days? Can you remember your school days? Can you remember that you did have school days at one point in time? What was your favorite field trip, Leslie? We went to visit a farm when I was in kindergarten, and they had horses, and nobody was worried about liability back then, and they let us charge down the driveway and back on the horse behind the little girl whose house we were visiting. Nice. That would not happen today, I guarantee you. Other favorite field trip experiences? Carol. All right, prairie dogs. That's exciting. You didn't ride the prairie dogs, did you? All right. I got it. When Pastor Laura was teaching a school in Oklahoma, she took her kids on some pretty impressive field trips. Um, one of them, she took the uh, kids to the uh, Cherokee Nation Museum. They just had a blast getting to know that Native American aspect of our culture and our history. Uh, one other time, she took them out to, the, uh, to Vance Air Force Base, which is one of the Air Force's undergraduate pilot training bases, and they got to climb all over the airplanes and interact with the, the pilots. They had a blast doing that. When I went to high school, just a couple years ago, um, I went to high school in a city called Holyoke, Massachusetts. It a, it's a, had once been a booming industrial city, but it had been declining for many, many years. And so by the time I went to high school, just a couple years ago, it was really in a serious decline. And field trips there, I knew uh, I was in trouble the first time when they, 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 really what happened was we had a fire drill and then when we got back in, they said, I hope you enjoyed your field trip. Sad. Sad. But here's the thing. One thing that believers get to do, people who have a personal connection with Christ get to do, is we get to take field trips with Jesus to extend his kingdom. And one of the bases for those field trips is captured in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. It's in the book of Acts. It's in chapter 1. It's verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read all of those verses, but really this morning we're going to focus on verses 6 through 8. If 
you're going to follow along this morning, and I really encourage you to do that, it's on page 1690 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. The book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The person writing this is, the, is Luke, the physician. He writes the Gospel of Luke in the Bible. This is the second book in the Bible that Luke has given to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So here's what he says, Luke, excuse me, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Verse 1, in my former book, that former book was the Gospel of Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, uh, that's John the Baptist, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. What is Jesus talking about here? He is unpacking for them, and not just for the first time, but he's unpacking for them in very specific ways this call to go on field trips with him. Now, there's a word that we sometimes use in Christian circles to describe this. There's several words. The word I'm going to use this morning is the word extension, because we have this call to be people who reach out with the good news. Not just locally, although that is incredibly important. Locally and around the world, though, you put those things together, this kind of, this kind of worldwide call that we have, and that is in, in what the, gospels, excuse me, the Bible is going to talk about as an extension of the kingdom. Because in addition to this passage here in the book of Acts, every gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every one of them has a version of this call for you and me, to be active agents of fulfilling this mandate. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to ask ourselves several questions, kind of wrapped around this one main question. What does it take for us to fulfill this mandate? What's it take? Well, first, it takes not being distracted by secondary issues. Now, I have been around the pastor block for probably 35 years. And I can tell you how easy it is for any body of Christ to get wrapped up in secondary issues. Here in this passage, the disciples say to Jesus, the thing that has been occupying their minds is, hey, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Behind that is, you know, we're really tired of knuckling under to these Roman conquerors. We'd really like to have our own kingdom back and our own king on the throne. So, hey, Jesus, when's that going to happen? It's the beginning of the, one of the earliest evidences of what we call end times speculation. Thinking about when things are going to be wrapped up as God has promised us, he will wrap them up 
in his word. But Jesus says to him, hey, hmm. I'm amazed sometimes. I amaze myself sometimes by how much energy we can invest in minor things all the time neglecting or paying little attention to the major things. Lots of small stuff tends to occupy our time as believers. In Woodland Park, Colorado, we were building a brand new church building. Brand new. And you know how excited people can get about building a building and how confrontational that can sometimes be and how it can generate conflict. And so we had a building committee and then we thought, hey, we're clever. We're going to put together an aesthetics committee to think about how the things should look on the inside. So I was at one of these meetings of the aesthetics committee one time. And I wish I had bought, brought with me my 9mm handgun because I just wanted to shoot myself in the head. They spent an hour talking about different shades of maroon for the carpet color. An hour. Been there, and finally, yeah, preach it. And finally I said, just pick one. <laughs> we spent more time, concentrated time, talking about the carpet color than we certainly had talking about Jesus among ourselves or with anybody else. And so connected to that, it takes a a constant refocusing by the Lord on the important stuff. And that happens in verses 7 in the latter part of verse 8 here. See, the disciples say, hey, when's the kingdom coming back? And Jesus in verse 7 says, don't worry about that. That's the Father's business. He's going to sort that out. He is not on your schedule He's on his own schedule. So don't worry about that. Worry about this. Verse 8. You will be my witnesses. Here's the thing about this verse. You will be a thing. You will be my witnesses. It's not a question of choosing to be a witness or not be a witness. The reality is we are witnesses. We are either effective witnesses or neglectful witnesses. You will be, he says, being constantly refocused by the Lord on the important stuff. What else does it take? Well, in this passage, Jesus says in verse 8, it takes Holy Spirit empowerment. I pastored in Baptist circles for many years and Southern Baptist circles for a while. Southern Baptist circles in Colorado looked a little different than they did in Texas, but nonetheless, we were part of the same big gang, Southern Baptists, and all those images you have in your heads that are rolling around them right there, right in your brains right now, are probably mostly okay, accurate. But uh, there were times when, if you mention the Holy Spirit in a context other than in some kind of formal in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was okay. But if you talk about the Holy Spirit as the real, live, active person and agent of empowerment for Christians that he is, people got nervous. Oh my gosh. What will happen if the Holy Spirit shows up? We might be animated. We might be clapping. We might raise our hands. We might actually do the things that he's called us 
to do. Holy Spirit empowerment. Now these guys, the disciples, they had to wait until the day of Pentecost. In the historical evolution of the church, the day of Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit fell down out of the sky like tongues of fire on every believer and simultaneously they were empowered by that Holy Spirit. You and I, we do not have to wait for a day because if we have a personal connection with Christ, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in our hearts and minds. He is there. We just need to begin leaning into his power to accomplish his purposes because his power is essential to accomplish his purposes. You and I, you see, we're Americans. And I'm proud to be an American. I'm not going to break out into song and sing that song, but I am nonetheless proud to be an American. But one of our heritages as Americans is we think we can do anything in our own strength. You name it, we can do it. We can conquer it. We can beat it. We can build it. We're all Bob the Builders. Can we build it? Yes, we can. But that is not reflective of this need that you and I have to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish kingdom purposes. Jesus, Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 5 said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. No thing. I'm wearing a microphone now, a wireless microphone, powered by this little battery pack transmitter here. If I take the batteries out, how effective is the microphone? It ain't gonna work. The Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is the battery that it powers us to do what he is called to do. And by the way, and by the way, these are not just field trips that we take for Jesus because of the residence of his spirit in our lives. These are field trips we take with Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus said, And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. With us, by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We don't just go for Jesus, we go with Jesus. Now here's a couple of things that are important about this. One is that being with Jesus has this implication of being personally connected with him by faith. It's not just a matter of hanging out in church on Sunday morning or at the Christmas brunch or at the other activities we have. That is not what being with Jesus necessarily means. What being with Jesus means is saying, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know that. Forgive me of that. Accept me by faith. Come into my life. Being with Jesus. And it's not a have to. I know what you're thinking. Oh my gosh, he's talking about what we have to witness. But it's not a have to. It's a get to. When I lived in Massachusetts for a while, I had a great Dane named Morgan. Beautiful, brindle-colored great Dane. Huge dog. I mean, everything on the counters at Tops had to be pushed back to the very edge because her head literally rested on the countertop when she was standing up. If she got up on her hind legs and put her paws on my shoulder, her head was above my head. This is a large dog. 
But we had this relationship. She knew that she was the dog and I was the master. And it honestly did not matter where I was going. She always looked at me with those pleading, great dame doggy eyes and wanted to go with me. And so if I was going in the car, she'd hop in the back seat and she would rest her head on my shoulder as I was driving down the road. If I was going outside for a walk and she knew all the signs of a walk, putting on the sneakers and all this, she knew all the signs, she would go grab her leash and bring it to me. She didn't care where I was going. She just wanted to be with me. And that's the thing about our relationship with Jesus. If he calls us to go someplace, it's not a chore, it's not a burden, it's not a task. We get to go with him as he calls us to go with him. It does require that mindset change. Somehow we need to flip the switch from having to do things for Jesus to getting to do things for Jesus. That's Jesus. So what else does it take from this passage? It takes engagement at what we're going to call simultaneous worldwide extension or mission activities. The grammar in this passage, and I know you love coming to church on Sunday morning and hearing about grammar, but the grammar in this passage indicates that these activities, these simultaneous worldwide activities, are ongoing at the same time. It's not we do this one and then we do that one and then we do this one. It's no, they're all happening at the same time. I can remember that church in Woodland Park, Colorado, we were taking our young people on a mission trip to Canada. And there was a woman in the church whose idea of missions was being at Hobby Lobby when the sales were on. She said to me, why would we go to Canada? There's plenty of work here. And it was one of those times, honestly, I usually have a pretty pretty good control over my out loud voice. But it was one of those times when my out loud voice got away from me and I said, ha, you haven't been anywhere. Except to Hobby Lobby. She wasn't pleased. But that's what's happening here. We are called to this simultaneous activity locally. See, in this passage, Jesus talks about Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Well, we're not in Jerusalem. We're in Lyon County. That's our local spot. We're not in Judea or Samaria, but Jesus was reflecting kind of national identity for us. That would be kind of like North America. To the very ends of the earth, well, the very ends of the earth are still the very ends of the earth. It's kind of an international call. We can think of things like Cody and Krista Baker who have committed their lives to translating the Bible into languages that have not yet had the privilege of having the word of God in their own language. And and, and it's not just always a matter of going somewhere. You know, we have different things locally that we support the rescue mission and the abundant harvest and the Spartan stop and those other kinds of things. There's all components. And again, the grammar here is that they happen at the same time. So that's kind of the call. What does it take to fulfill that call? 
It takes a couple, three things. The first one is a commitment to praying. Praying. Being people of prayer. Prayer. Prayer softens our hearts about the needs of others to hear Jesus. It softens our hearts. Sometimes our hearts need some softening. Sometimes we get cynical. Sometimes we get cavalier. Sometimes we get annoyed when needs are presented to us. What prepares us to hear those needs and try to meet those needs, it, it, it takes prayer. That's what it does. It softens our hearts. It takes an investment financially. Don't you hate it when we talk about money? It takes an investment financially. Now listen to me carefully. This is not paying someone else to do the job. I was out walking yesterday. And you know how they have those little yard signs that they stick around advertising various functions and things or whatever? I walked by a sign. I am not making this up. This sign said, I will pick up the dog poop in your yard. I'm thinking to myself, where was this guy when I had the Great Dane? Because trust me, that was snow shovel level cleaning requirement. But I'm thinking, what is it about us that we, we would rather pay somebody to do something than, than do it ourselves in the kingdom of God? Now, I'm not saying there are times when we pay people to do things that they're expert to do. I get that. But in the kingdom of God, if we are called to be these agents of this this, this simultaneous extension activity. We, we don't just get to pay somebody to do it, but we have to invest financially in missions. And a reason we do this, a reason we do this, is to remind us that absolutely everything that we own belongs to God. I'm loaded this morning. I have $8 in my pocket. I was at Dylan's yesterday, and I thought I had a couple dollars in my pocket because I saw the Salvation Army kettle people outside the exit door, but I had no cash in that pocket. So I bought my 3 or $4 worth of stuff, and then I had to get cash back from the, reg- from the, the gal at the register so I could drop something in the plate and then have some money for dinner. But anyway, you don't care about that. I have $8 in my pocket. Whose $8 is this? It's God's $8. If I hand these $8 to Sally, whose $8 are they? God's. If Sally hands those $8 to Steve, and Steve hands them to Dean, and then Dean hands them to, to Kathy, and Kathy hands them to Jean, Jesus is married. Who's eight dollars on it? I'm taking God's eight dollars back. <laughs> and you know, eight dollars doesn't seem like a lot. It's okay to pass around eight dollars and say that's God's. But the deeper realization that absolutely everything we own personally really belongs to God. The deeper realization that absolutely everything that this church 
has put together both financially and, and physically, belongs to God, that deeper realization needs to sink in. Why? Well, if it all belongs to God, if the $8 really does belong to God, then it doesn't pain me as much to hand it off to somebody who might need it. And it also takes personal participation. That woman I was talking about earlier who was in the church in Colorado who I made mad with my out loud voice one day, she stuck around. And uh, we had a, a missionary come to share the sermon one Sunday morning and she said to me as she was going out the door, you know, patting me on the head as people do that when they go out the door, she said, I love hearing missionaries tell their stories. And I thought to myself, I controlled my out loud voice, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be better to have our own stories to tell? Jesus is not interested in us telling other people's stories really well, unless it's his. He's interested in us speaking of our own story, our own personal connection with Christ, our own experience of resonating with and feeling and knowing the power of the Holy Spirit of God working in us and through us to accomplish his purposes. So, practicalities. How do we do this? It's not complicated. We do three things. We pray. God, show us opportunities. God, speak to my neighbor's heart. God, lessen my preoccupation with me and open up my occupation to other people's needs. Prayer. Prayer fuels everything. Prayer is the mechanism God uses to soften our hearts for participation in this work that he's called us to do. And we relate to people. Here's the thing, sometimes I think we've gotten wrong over the years in this notion of witnessing to people. Uh, We sometimes have viewed people as targets. And when you view somebody as a target, they know it. And they don't like it. And they shouldn't like it. But if we are genuinely invested in getting to know them and valuing them the way God values them, that's relationship. And relationship builds credibility for the next and the third thing, which is invitation. At some point, as God has softened our hearts through prayer and as we have genuinely invested in people, we need to be able to say, come and meet Jesus. Come and meet Jesus. Let me share with you the most important relationship in my life and why it's so. Now, I would be less than straightforward with you if I didn't acknowledge that there's some risk involved in trying to be an effective witness for Jesus. There's some risk involved. Some people might think, "Ah, are you kidding me? you believe that? 
Some places in the world there's actual physical risk. I think I've shared with you that I've gone twice to Zambia in Africa. Teach at a seminary there in the capital, Lusaka, and also to go out and help uh, some of the local pastors in their work. And uh, the first time I went to Zambia, the very first day I was there, I had to have an emergency appendectomy. It was not the most fun day of my life. And as we communicated to the people back in Colorado about this emergency appendectomy, they were panicked and worried for my safety. And I really appreciated that, and I appreciated their prayers. But other than praying, there was absolutely nothing they could do except hope that I would make it through. And I did. And since the appendectomy happened on my first day there, by the end of my third or fourth day, I could actually move around and I got to do almost everything I was supposed to do while I was there. Three years later, two years later, the folks in Zambia invited me back. My church went into panic mode. They said, last time you went, you had this emergency appendectomy. We're not sure it's safe there for you to go. And I said, I'm just going to have to trust God that that, based on this invitation that I'm supposed to go. And so this time, this trip was eight weeks. I left in January 2001 to return at the end of February 2001. These people get the picture in Woodland Park, Colorado, in this church, this Highview Church, were worried, obsessively worried, about me being in danger in Africa. Meanwhile, while I'm in Africa, seven people break out of a prison in Texas, murderers, rapists, armed robbers. They break out of a prison in Texas And they make their way to, guess where? Woodland Park, Colorado. They moved into a little RV, in a little RV park. And they were there for several weeks. In fact, a couple of them got plugged into Bible studies. And they looked like they were just, you know, whatever. People that uh, were aware of them later, after the police surrounded their RV and arrested them. The people later said, you know, they seem like nice guys to me. Now, I'm thinking to myself... The people in Woodland Park, Colorado, were worried about me being in danger in Africa. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, in Woodland Park, Colorado, seven murderers are hanging out in their town. Sure, there's risk. But I'm convinced that the risks that we think we take as we are led by the Holy Spirit to be the witnesses for Jesus that he has called us to be, those risks are worth it. They're worth it. So I think it's time for a swim. It's time for a swim. Swim. Simultaneous, worldwide, witnessing mandate. Swim. You and I. By virtue of this, this, uh, uh, encounter we have with Jesus' words in the book of Acts, this is what we have. It's time for us to swim. It's time for us to get in, to dive in, to be part of this. All of us. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is Advent. This is the Christmas season. 
Why is this wacko talking to us about this simultaneous worldwide witnessing mandate? Let me tell you why. Crispus is literally all over the place. You can't go anywhere in this town without seeing some kind of Advent display, some kind of creche display. The Nazarene Church is going to have a live nativity scene on the 20th and 21st. You can't go anywhere. The bells are jingling. People are singing. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Some people are saying, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, but they're not really because they don't want the snow. But they're singing it anyway. Christmas is all over the place. There is no better time of the year than to think about being actively engaged in this simultaneous worldwide witnessing mandate that you and I share by virtue of our connection with Christ. How about you? Are you praying? Relating? Inviting? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this gift from your word, even though we might not think about it as a gift when we first ponder it, but this gift of going on field trips with Jesus. Man, we get to go. Keep us in the place, Father, where we are willfully obedient, joyfully obedient to this time for us, man. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.